welcome to the True Tabernacle podcast channel. We hope that you find encouragement and inspiration during one of our sermons, discussions, or interviews. For more information regarding our faith community, connect with us on Facebook at our True Tabernacle page. And while you're at it, hit subscribe to this channel to stay connected. nothing to do with my my message tonight but Genesis 50 verse 20 it says as for you you meant evil against me but God meant it for good that's for somebody in this room tonight that song was for somebody in this room tonight he's taking what the enemy meant for evil and I want you to know he's turning it around as we're here and he's working it out for your good I wish somebody would receive that tonight I wish somebody would believe that what the enemy meant for evil God is working it out for the good Amen. Amen. First Samuel chapter 13, 15 through 22. I don't know about you, but I feel good. Uh, Brother Blackford, I just want to give the devil a knuckle sandwich. Come on, Elder, I just want to charge hell with a water pistol. I, I feel the power of God here tonight. Does anybody feel the presence of the Lord in this place? Amen. Amen. Starting in verse 15, the word of the Lord says, Samuel then left Gilgal and went on his way. But the rest of the troops went with Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin, when Saul counted the men who were still with him, he found only 600 were left. Saul and Jonathan and the troops with them were staying at Geba in the land of Benjamin. The Philistines set up their camp at Michmash. Three raiding parties soon left the camp of the Philistines. One went north toward Aphra in the land of Shul. Another went west to Beth Horon. And the third moved toward the border above the valley of Zeboam near the wilderness. Verse 19. There were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. So whenever the Israelites needed to sharpen their plowshares, picks, axes, or sickles, they had to take them to a Philistine blacksmith. The charges were as follows, a quarter of an ounce of silver for sharpening a plowshare or a pick, and an eighth of an ounce for sharpening an axe or making the point of an ox goad. So on the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or a spear except for Saul and Jonathan. Tonight I want to preach a question. Where are the weapons? Where are the weapons? Would you pray with me? Thank you, Jesus, for this opportunity to be in your house tonight. We're so thankful for the cross. We're so thankful, 
Lord, for an empty tomb. We're so thankful for resurrection power. We're so thankful for the body of Christ. I pray that you would be here tonight, Jesus. That your word would go forth and not return void, but accomplish whatsoever you desire to accomplish in this house tonight. Help us not just to be stirred, but to be changed and transformed by the power that is in the word of God. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you give the Lord one more hand clap of praise tonight as you're being seated in Jesus' name. So as we know, construction was taking place this past week and so we didn't get to gather last Wednesday. But praise the Lord, uh, that phase is finished and I think we could do some aisle running right there. Just, just thankful that phase is finished. Praise the Lord. And so, uh, so my mom calls and she, she asked me, Brother Bobby, if I wanted to go to Oxford. She said, hey, we don't have church Wednesday. You want to go to Oxford? There was a guy that was speaking about his parents who were in the Holocaust. And I, I was unaware that this past Wednesday was... Uh, what is called Yom HaShoah, which is Israel's National Day of Holocaust Remembrance. And uh, so I, I, I enjoy history, and so I figured it would be fun to attend. The guy's name was Dr. Alex Kor, and he was the son of, of Eva Kor. And so his mother uh, sadly had passed in 2019, oddly enough, while one of her many visits back to Auschwitz. She, she passed away over there. Uh, but her son had been familiar with her story, obviously, and accompanied her many times, and so he felt comfortable to, to continue to share these stories. And so I sat there and I listened to these atrocities of the Holocaust and just the long-term impact that it had on, on not only the survivors, but their families as they tried to live life with, with that, that darkness in their life. And you just question how something so vile could ever transpire in our modern world. If you think about it, the Holocaust hasn't even been 100 years ago. It's, it's not quite been, been 80, so it's, it's, it's really kind of hard to even think that that was where we were at. And over 6 million Jews and, and, and millions more kind of on the fringes of society uh, were, were brutally murdered under Nazi Germany, led by the notorious dictator Adolf Hitler. And if you're like me, you ask the question, why? But then you ask, how? How could places like concentration camps even exist? How could hundreds pile into shower rooms only to realize too late that they were being poisoned by gas? And I, I do apologize for the grim introduction, but I just want us to, to see uh, how, how the Nazis could get to a place where they were able to treat uh, the Jewish people so harshly. But... They didn't wake up one day to a new cruel world. It was systematic. It, it was a process. It took time. But one important factor that allowed this atrocity to occur was the state of defenselessness of the Jewish people. You see, starting in 1935, the Nazis prevented gun permits to be issued to the Jews. By 1938, Nazi Germany implemented a gun reform that made it illegal for Jews to possess firearms of any kind. And so guns as well as 
knives were seized by the state police. And the Jews found themselves under the authority of a regime which hated their existence and with no weapons to fight back. I realize that nothing we face pales in comparison to the wickedness of the Holocaust. I'm not insinuating at all that any application is worthy of equal comparison. And so I'm cautious to employ an illustration that may suggest insensitivity to the Holocaust, the victims and their families. Yet I do believe we find a principle here that must not be overlooked. The enemy wanted them weaponless. And just as Hitler in the Third Reich seized power by creating a defenseless foe, so does the enemy of our soul attempt to do to every human being that walks the face of the earth, and even more so to the children of God. Because the adversary knows the battle is much easier when the other side can't fight back. Peter warns, he says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. You see, a lion is scary to a gazelle. Lions terrify the unsuspecting, defenseless prey in the wild. But as a human being with a weapon in your hand, lions begin to lose their intimidation. Lions can roar all they want, but when you've got a rifle, that roar loses its power. And so tonight, in the name of Jesus, I've come to put the roaring lion on notice. We are alert. We are watching and we are armed. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I've come to let somebody know it may not be a physical battle, but it's a spiritual one. And we better be ready to fight because the enemy is after your eternal soul. But it's time we rise up in this hour and say, not today. I've got a weapon in my hand and I am fighting back against the enemy. Where are the weapons? Where are the weapons? Brother Howard, you're too familiar with the role of inventory in the military. For those unaware, the military is pretty big on personal accountability. And uh, especially pertaining to government-issued equipment. We're pretty particular about that. So I've literally seen an entire company get put on hold because somebody couldn't find their night vision. And so you're stuck there all day thinking, I'm about to wring this dude's neck if he don't come up with this night vision. Go out and look in the woods, dude. You better find it. It's serious business. And you might think, what's the big deal? You know, what, why does inventory really matter? But inventory matters because when the time comes to fight, you don't want to have to search for what you need. You don't have time to look for a weapon when the gunfire starts. If you're looking when the battle begins, you're already too late. That's why as infantrymen, everywhere you go, whether you go to the chow hall or the bathroom, you take your weapon with you because you never know when something's going to pop off. And that's what we're doing tonight. 
it's time to take a step back and take some spiritual inventory and ask myself, am I really ready for a battle? So we look at the checklist Paul gives us in Ephesians 6. He says, starting in verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Here it is. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So I ask you tonight, are you ready for battle? Some of us have walked in here tonight wondering why the blows of the enemy are stinging so bad right now. You can't figure out why bitterness is taking root in your heart. You don't know why you're struggling with unforgiveness. You can't explain why your mind is wrestling with confusion when in all reality you're walking out your front door and leaving your armor behind. But it's time to remind ourselves we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So I don't know what you've walked in here with tonight. I don't know what your personal life looks like, but Jesus does. And he didn't give you resurrection power through the Holy Ghost to get bullied by the the enemy all your life you have power you have authority you have the word of God it's time to start using what God has given us access to so our opening passage tonight finds the nation of Israel in a unique period of history the time when the people of Israel were no longer satisfied with prophets relaying to them the words of the Lord. Notice what transpires in 1 Samuel chapter 8. It said the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Think about the motivations behind that statement. Give us a king to judge us. Why? So that we can be like all the nations. We see how the other nations are operating and we feel like they've got the best system going these days. These judges are antiquated. These prophets aren't necessary. We don't need to hear a word from heaven. We need a king to lead us. It amazes me that Israel... God's chosen people, the nation whom the Lord of hosts chose, decided they needed a king instead of God. And at first, we can kind of mock their ignorance, you know, Brother Blackford. Like, what are you guys doing? But then reality starts to set in. Because they, they were searching for acceptance from those outside the covenant. 
And yet how often do we find ourselves searching to be like those outside the covenant people of God. So instead of saying give me a king, we say give me a more flexible set of guidelines. Instead of give me a king, we say give me the notoriety and celebrity of a culture whose values are antithetical to the kingdom of God. Instead of crying out for a king, we cry out for a more accepting message that dulls down sin and eliminates judgment. Hear me tonight, there's a reason we operate differently like the other, than the other nations because we are not like the other nations. Because you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Israel started looking at those on the outside. Started looking at those in the world. And they determined that the world was more reasonable than what they currently had. If only Israel would have known. They already had the king of kings leading them. I believe in this hour there is a desperate need for a reminder. That our help doesn't come from a king. Our help doesn't come from a political leader or a billionaire. Our help doesn't come from the White House. From the Capitol. From the Supreme Court. Or from Silicon Valley. Our help comes from the Lord. So instead of looking around at the nations, we stand here tonight with an ancient reminder from Psalm 121. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We must be reminded. We cannot be guilty of worrying about what the world is doing because we don't need the world's help. My help comes from the Lord clap your hands if you believe that's where your help comes from tonight and if we aren't careful we can allow our culture and social media and acceptance and influence from the outside to convince us that politicians can replace prophets because that's what happened to Israel. Give us a king like the other nations. But let me proclaim to you what I feel in the Holy Ghost. I am not trying to be like the other nations. I'm not trying to operate like a world God called me out of. So if I have to choose between a prophet and a politician, give me what thus saith the Lord for my life, for my family, for my ministry. So the Lord gives them the desires of their heart, you know. He, he says, okay, give them, give them a king. And so he anoints Saul to be king. And so that's the situation that Israel is in in our opening passage. But I want to give us a, a more accurate description of chapter 13. So if you'll allow me, we can jump back to the uh, starting in verse 2 of chapter 
13, I think it's important just to include this. Is this okay tonight? It says, so Saul selected 3,000 special troops. These were the best of the best. From the army of Israel and sent the rest of the men home. He took 2,000 of the chosen men with him to Michmash in the hill country of Bethel. The other 1,000 went with Saul's son Jonathan to Gibeah in the land of Benjamin. Soon after this, Jonathan attacked and defeated the garrison of the Philistines at Geba. The news spread quickly among the Philistines. So Saul blew the ram's horn throughout the land, saying, Hebrews, hear this, rise up and revolt. All Israel heard the news that Saul had destroyed the Philistine garrison at Geba, and that the Philistines now hated the Israelites more than ever. So the entire Israelite army was summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. Verse 5, the Philistines mustered up a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of the sand on the seashore. They camped at Michmash east of Beth-Avon. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in. Because they were hard pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them even crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Israel had defeated a Philistine garrison. And guess what happens? Man, they just kicked the hornet's nest. The only thing that that victory accomplished, Brother Bobby, was it made the Philistines even more mad. Scripture says, now the Philistines hated the Israelites more than ever. So they muster up a massive army and so many warriors that the writer uses a hyperbole to describe them as the grain of sand on the seashore. That's a lot. I just want to pause here for a moment. And say that the moment you engage with the enemy, you're going to stir some things up. The moment you decide, I'm done letting the Philistines dictate the terms of this relationship. All of a sudden, the enemy gets a little nervous. I just feel here tonight, this is for somebody. You're in a battle because you started fighting back. You started getting up early and praying again. You started fasting again. You started looking for deliverance. You started searching for direction. And the enemy is mad at you. That's why all hell is breaking loose in your life. That's why it feels like nothing can go right these days. But it's not a sign that you've done something wrong. This is a sign that you are doing exactly what you need to do to get a breakthrough. I wish somebody in this house had a made up mind. Hell can throw everything at me and the kitchen sink. But I am not backing down. I wish there was a warrior spirit inside of you that said, devil, you thought you had the victory over my mind, over my health, over my finances, over my children, but I am putting you on notice tonight. It's over. It's over. I said it's over. I'm fighting back. I don't care how much you get. This is the beginning of the end. You've lived your last night rent free in my home. I'm fighting back in the name of Jesus. 
So the Philistines come out to battle against Israel. But there was, it was a small problem because Israel wasn't equipped for the battle. Verse 19 says there were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow it for fear that they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. I like how another translation puts it. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make for themselves swords and spears. And somewhere along the way, Israel had grown complacent. So instead of systematically creating a stockpile of weaponry for the army, each person just kind of managed their own harvesting tools. They were just kind of content. They were perfectly content going down and letting the Philistine blacksmith do his job. Think about that for a moment. They had grown so dependent upon somebody else from the outside to meet their needs. They no longer found it necessary to even sharpen their own plows. Why would I spend this evening sharpening this pick when I can just go down and have the Philistines do it? So over time, they created an environment of convenience where Israel could simply go to the Philistines and get their needs met rather than investing in the next generation of blacksmiths. But scripture indicates why the Philistines ensured that Israel had no blacksmith. Because no blacksmith meant no weapons. Till one day, Israel woke up with an army being attacked and no weapons in their hand to defend themselves. Could you imagine the screams as the enemy approaches? What would you do if you were about to face an innumerable army? and You didn't even have a sword in your hand. There were several thousand special troops. And they fled. I don't get paid enough for this. Call me when you got some weapons. Then I'll fight. While I'm using weapons in the literal sense from our story. I'm not preaching about the Second Amendment tonight. This is not an encouragement to stockpile guns and ammos as we hunker down and wait for the next foreign enemy to attack. Allow all you preppers to get together and game plan for that after service. No, I'm not preaching about actual swords, rifles, bombs, or missiles. But let me reiterate the scripture we read earlier. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I'm talking about a spiritual arsenal that's stronger than any armory this world has ever known. See, the enemy of our soul is working day and night to prevent a generation of spiritual blacksmiths from rising up in this hour. He's working overtime to make sure prayer closets are empty, Bibles remain shut, cell phones are glued to our hands, and our eyes are glued to the TVs. Because what absolutely terrifies him and the rest of his defeated legion of demons is an apostolic church full of blacksmiths. 
I'm talking about the weapon makers. I'm talking about the unknowns that just sit back day after day and stockpile spiritual weapons. Those spiritual blacksmiths, they don't want recognition, but they've got the eyes and ears of heaven looking down on them. And I just wonder what would happen if we'd made the decision. We're not going to let the Philistines make our weapons any longer. I'm not satisfied with the world dictating whether or not I go into battle weaponly. Come on, whether I've got to have tear stains on my carpet or my Bible's got to be highlighted from front to back. Somebody's stomach needs to start growling because you skipped a few meals. But I'll fast if I have to. My knees might get worn out in my jeans, but I'll intercede if I have to. I'll lay on the floor all night if I have to because I refuse to go to battle without a weapon in my hand. Think about how many times we felt like we're facing battles without a way to defend ourselves. You ever gone through something that just feels like, man, you're just getting worked over? Oh. Now sometimes, listen, sometimes we're just going to go through stuff, okay? We're just going to face stuff. You can pray 23 hours a day, fast day, eight days a week, you're still going to go through valleys, alright? I'm talking about the battles that we should have the victory. And yet the enemy comes and starts attacking and we've got no weapon in our hand. It's those battles that I think we should be honest with ourselves and ask the question, have I really been a blacksmith lately? Am I actually investing time in prayer these days? When was the last time I, I really dug into the word of God for more than five minutes and allowed him to speak to me? Am I listening to worship music and sermons or is Netflix and Hulu my go-to? Maybe I'm just preaching to myself, but I, I refuse to keep letting the enemy dictate whether or not I can defend myself. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. Sounds crazy when you read it. I'm thinking you're, you're going to let them tell you? You're going to let them tell you you can't have no weapons? It's easy to criticize from several thousand years away. But then it kind of sets in. We look around at the 21st century church and we see that the enemy has dictated those same terms. He convinces us of these lies. You don't really need any weapons. It takes too much time. You're too busy. You've worked all day. You've got that errand to run, that ball game to get to, that music practice to go to. Have you even been to the grocery store yet? Have you packed for that weekend trip? Uh, don't forget that favorite TV show played last night. And we convince ourselves that things are going good these days. So maybe we really don't need to pray that much this week. 
I just got that raise and an extra week of vacation at work. I'm on the mountaintop, baby. I think I'll take a few days off from my Bible reading plan. And whether we realize it or not, it's okay if we don't. We've allowed the enemy to convince us that the time it takes to make weapons is too costly. Unfortunately for many of us, we only know it's time for battle when the battle is already at our front door. We only realize it's time to pray when the doctor's report comes back and they've got some concerns. We only realize we should start fasting when the bank loan comes in four months past due and you've got the final red notice. When all hell is breaking loose in your mind and in your family and then we say, God, I need you. All the while our spiritual armory is completely barren. But here's what I want us to understand. The convenience is costly. Sure, the Philistines had created a monopoly of smithing. Israel couldn't do it themselves, so they just became comfortable with going down to the local Philistine and having them sharpen their tools. As a farming society, Israel depended on these tools to survive, and so the enemy said, sure, we'll sharpen those for you, but it's going to cost you. So Israel found themselves paying an outrageous sum of money to simply sharpen the things they needed to use every day. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares and for the mattocks and a third of a shekel for sharpening the axes and for setting the goads. At first, it doesn't mean much. Honestly, to me, it didn't. I tend to gloss over words like shekels because it's not dollar bills, you know. But then, if you think about it this way, the average monthly income was about a shekel. They were spending two-thirds of a shekel to get their tools sharpened to make the one shekel. It was costing them almost as much to go to the enemy as they were making the entire month. Because convenience always costs you more than you imagine. Hear me tonight, it may feel like time in prayer is costing you productivity, but you'll pay more to the enemy later. You might feel like it costs to stand out in a crowd full of worldliness with a Bible in your hands, but it'll cost you more to go down to the enemy and meet your needs. It may feel like it costs you time, energy, relationships, or other activities, but I promise it is worth the time to become a blacksmith. It's worth it to be a weapon maker. Our final verse from our passage tonight reads like this. Verse 22. So on the day of the battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or a spear. Except for Saul and Jonathan. Talk about ending on a depressing note. This was a movie, I'd probably throw my remote at the TV. If it was a book, my wife would probably scream and burn it. And I'd have to hear about how dumb the author was all night. We can laugh, guys. We're having fun, all right? It's all right. 
And honestly, I, I, honestly, when I was working on this message in my mind, I started thinking through the passage, and I was focusing on the lack of weapons, Brother Bobby. But then I kept, I kept reading, and I kept reading again. And then it hit me to go further into chapter 14. And it's like this Holy Ghost light bulb goes off. Because, you know, when you read the Bible, God actually does talk to you. And then there was Jonathan. I'll, I'm, I'm promising I'm hurrying, but I just want to read just a little bit of, of chapter 14 just so we can get an understanding. And it says, one day Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on. Let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. Jonathan didn't tell his father what he was doing. Verse, verse 6, it says, let us go across to the outpost of those pagans. He recognized those outside the covenant. Those pagans. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will help us for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. Let's skip down to verse 12. Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come on up here and we'll teach you a lesson. And Jonathan, come on, climb right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. For the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet. And the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed those who came behind them. It killed some 20 men in all and their bodies were scattered about half an acre. Woo! Talk about a plot twist. Israel's back's against the wall. They're surrounded by the enemy. It's, it's a, as, as much as the seashore, the sands in the seashore. That's how many of the Bible says they're so surrounded, they're hiding in crevices and rocks, just kind of hoping the enemy doesn't find them. Isn't that what we do sometimes? Just kind of hide, just kind of hope we can stay off the enemy's radar. But the Philistines assumed every person in the camp was weaponless. They forgot about someone. They forgot about Jonathan. They forgot about the king's son. Let me stop right here and tell you the king's children are never left without access to a weapon. And I'm looking at a house full of king's children. And what the enemy needs to know tonight is the king's children have access to the ultimate weapon. It is the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Some of us, we've been searching and searching and we've been overlooking the greatest weapon we have access to. It's the Word. It's the Word of God. But the next time the enemy comes rushing in, I want you to open up your Bibles and I want you to read those words to the enemy. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against it. Next time the enemy says you aren't going to make it. You're going to lose everything. Your family's not going to be able to live. You're not going to be able to survive. I want you to quote Psalm 37, 25. I've been young and now I'm old. Yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging for bread. 
Come on, when the doctor's report comes in and it's not looking good, I want you to take that sword and get into Isaiah 53. And I want you to say, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, I am healed. It's time we start putting weapons back in our hands. I want you to stand with me tonight as I prepare to close. See, Jonathan could have hung his head down. He could have said, I'm the only one. There's only two swords in this whole camp and my backslidden dad's got one of them. I wish I could do more. I want to do so much more. But it's just me. What Jonathan understood was that all it took was one sword and a willingness to fight back. I feel like I'm preaching to somebody who feels like you're fighting alone. Maybe you're the only one in your family living for God. Come on, maybe you're the only one in your family praying and fasting. Maybe you're the only one pushing forward. You're the only one engaging in spiritual warfare. And I know you feel alone. But just like Jonathan found out. The Lord can win a battle with many or with few. And he can win it with you. And I just wonder what would happen in this room if there were some Jonathans willing to rise up in this place and say, I'm the only one with a weapon in my hand, but I'm willing to fight back for the sake of my family, for the sake of my children, for the sake of my marriage. Come on, is there anybody tired of letting the Philistines run your life? I wish a holy boldness would sweep into this room right now. In the name of Jesus, give us a Jonathan spirit to fight back. Help us to see the power that is with you. You see, the title tonight was, Where Are the Weapons? But I suppose a more fitting question would be, where are the weapon makers? Where are the blacksmiths? Not everybody's cut out to be a blacksmith because it's hard work. It takes hours of intense focus. It takes years of investment. But if you want weapons forged in the fire, you've got to get in the heat. And you've got to put time in the blacksmith process. Come on, it's going to take time. You've got to put the iron in and pull it out and hammer away. You've got to put it back in and out and hammer away. It's lengthy. It's exhausting. But one of these days, the enemy's going to come knocking. And you're going to say, you thought you had me defeated. But guess what? Let me show you what I'm working with. I've got... I've got an arsenal of spiritual weapons. I am ready for the battle. So when we get in our prayer closets, I want you to know it's not a one-time event. 
day after day, night after night. Keep hammering because you're making spiritual preparations for a battle. Tonight, I want to open up these altars and I want to ask, is there anybody that feels low on weapons? Anybody that feels out of stock? Come on, I believe there's a call. There's a commitment going forth tonight. Somebody willing to commit to the life of a blacksmith. Is there anybody willing to come forward and say, I've let the Philistines dictate the terms long enough. Come on, let's get back to the business of weapon making. All across this place, could we find a place of prayer? Could we begin to go into that process? Go into that blacksmith process. Put the iron in right now. Come on, keep hammering away. Keep hammering away. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, put that sword of the Spirit in your hand. Let the enemy know you're arming yourself tonight. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. 